Hi, everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of Tellage Talks. It's kind of a different episode for you this week. I'm venturing into a conversation with a guy who's been a sports entrepreneur. He actually has been in the t-shirt business for 10 years now. And t-shirts regarding sports figures in Northeast Ohio, well, that's a big, big deal. His name is Tony Madalone. And we first met at Ashland University at a graduation ceremony there 10 years ago when he was getting his master's degree and he was just starting his t-shirt company. Since then, he's gone on to represent many athletes and helping them brand themselves via t-shirts and other marketing avenues. And along the way, he has also become a manager for a few athletes, most notably the UFC fighter, Jessica I. He's an interesting guy who also, just a couple of years ago, ran for the office of mayor of the city of Cleveland. He did not win, but he did at least learn a few things in that experience. So we'll talk about some of the athletes that he deals with, like Carlos Carrasco, or Yasio Puig, or one of the best pitchers in baseball these days, two-time Cy Young Award winner, we're talking about Corey Kluber, among others. Interesting conversation with Tony Madalone coming up right now on Tellich Talks. Tony, I'm curious, we've known each other for 10 years and you pretty much started your business back in 09. What got you on the path to being an entrepreneur that's connected with sports? Well, yeah, as you know, you know, you and I both are Eagles. We went to Ashland University. <laughs> and I think the first time we met, you were given commencement, right? December of 09. And I had actually started a company in my dorm room selling vintage t-shirts on eBay. And I'd always had this idea that I didn't really want to work for anybody. And I was a basketball player. I actually got my master's under Coach Lyons. And uh, Roger, I love you, but after that year together, I said, I'm never working for somebody again. <laughs> and so uh, <clears throat> after my first year, I told him, I said, I'm, I'm going to go out on my own. I actually read a book um, Tim, Tim Ferriss wrote, 4-Hour Workweek, and just decided I wanted to go out on my own. And so I took the knowledge that I learned with e-commerce, which was eBay at the time. It was very popular, and that would have been like 2007 or 8, and uh, had a master's to fall back on if it failed. And I figured I knew apparel well, so why not try starting a t-shirt company? And ironically, the first shirt that we did was for Josh Cribbs, and it showed up on ESPN with Jay Crawford, who's now mm-hmm. uh, back home. Yep. Yeah. So I, I tweeted him, actually, and that's when Twitter was just starting. And I said, hey, he was supposed to interview Josh uh, on Monday after the season ended. And I said, hey, we've got this new shirt. It was for it said pay Cribbs because there was a contract dispute. Uh, you should show the shirt or, you know, check it out. And I didn't hear from him, and then all of a sudden it was on ESPN and kind of launched the company. And that's kind of what got me started in the professional sports and professional athlete space. And being a, an athlete growing up, it was comfortable. It was easy for me. What were the sports you played when you were a kid and in, in high school? And college <clears throat> yeah, so and soccer was actually the sport I was best at. I just didn't enjoy it. So I stopped that after 10th grade in high school, and I focused primarily on basketball, which was my main sport. I went to open door, point guard of the state Final Four team in 2003, and then I played four years at Ashland and coached for two years. So uh, mom always tells me, I should have played baseball. That was actually what I'd be best at. I just didn't enjoy it as much, and so basketball became kind of my life. 
So how much did sports forge the confidence level that you probably had to start a business at a somewhat young age and to think that it could be successful? I think it had a lot to do with it. I think that sports really shape a lot of our lives. Anybody that's actually played competitively, especially at the collegiate level, I think that they would they would say that that had a lot to do with what they do now currently. And from a competitive standpoint, also team building and just having teammates, and, and it's just unique. It's very different. And, um, yeah, I think, I think it was really important. So you got involved with Josh Cribbs as your first, quote, T-shirt. First of all, what's the deal with Cleveland and T-shirts and sports and sports figures and T-shirts? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I like to think that Fresh Brew Tees was one of the ones that started things, at least in the in the partnership with Athlete Space. We were the ones that were first licensed by the NFLPA. And really the way I viewed it was that the T-shirt was the billboard. It didn't really matter that it was a shirt. It, it mattered what the campaign and the slogan was. And our thought was that we could build the fan base's excitement around that product. And that's so it was more marketing-based, yeah, fused? Yeah, so when I saw that there was a contract dispute with Josh and the team, obviously this is back when the team was terrible and we only really had one or two guys that we could focus on and that we were excited about, and that was Josh was one of them. Yeah, him and Phil Dawson and Joe Thomas. Yeah, exactly. And, <laughs> you know, one's a kicker and one's an O-lineman. So really you only had Josh. <laughs> And so I was like, there's no way that we can lose him. I was a super fan at the time. I didn't have a lot of experience dealing directly with the athletes at that point. And so as a fan, we just made a shirt that said pay cribs. And I thought that we could, it could kind of be the rallying cry and we could get the fan base around it. And it worked. And I think that we were one of the first ones to ever do that. And so I kind of proved the model. And the idea was I'm going to build campaigns around these athletes and their, their hot market moments, try to get the fans involved and keep building off of that and it worked and so who else then right after the cribs situation did you kind of set your sights on and what was the process like building the relationship with said athlete or team yeah so it's funny josh was not indirect partnership with for the pay cribs within a couple weeks he got paid we had some contact and then i made a pay uh, paid shirt and we were actually there at his press conference and we kind of started the relationship from that point. Now Josh and I are good friends and we do a lot of events together. It's kind of come full circle. The the athlete that I worked with after that in the first legitimate capacity was Joe Hayden. And okay. Joe Hayden was extremely popular. You know, he was out at West Six. He was all over and... He was like Mr. Cleveland. He was. Yeah. I, I still think, you know, he's not here, but I still think like he is Mr. Cleveland. He, he kind of just bleeds Cleveland. And we actually sat down at the table. We nicknamed him Lockdown Joe. And we developed this idea and his character and everything with him. And so that was my first taste his of... His character? Yeah, so it was a picture of him holding like a chain and it said Lockdown Joe and he kind of nicknamed, we, we nicknamed him together. And it was like, hey, this is this is my brand moving forward and we're going to help shape it from a Fresh Brutis perspective, which at the time was pretty unique. And then... Uh, he was great friends with TJ Ward, and so TJ Ward started working with us, and we did the Psych Ward stuff, and TJ and I became friends. And so once you're kind of in the locker room and once the guys trust you, you get everybody else. How do you get them to trust you? Uh, I just think being somebody that doesn't ask for anything, for me it's it's just treating them like normal people because that's what they are. And I think that they respect the fact that I don't want anything from them and I'm trying to help them build their brands and it's more of a relationship than anything. It's not like a, a from a fan perspective. How have you been able to build uh, the confidence that sports fans in general can look at these guys as not just athletes, but, quote, you said the word brand about five times already. Yeah. How, how do you do that? Or how did you do that? Or try to do it? 
Well, I think it's understanding the digital age that we live in. And even the last guy on the bench now has the ability to build their own brand. Yeah. And so it's kind of leveraging the celebrity that they have, but also their personality. And take a guy like Yasiel Puig, for example. Okay, he's uh, your most recent guy. Yeah, that so, kind of... so we're his apparel partner. Well, and... you actually hooked up with him when he was a Dodger, no? Uh, when he was a Red. So after he left L.A., we were working with Justin Turner, so I had some idea of okay. him, but more so when he became a Cincinnati Red. And um, So how do you forge yes. a relationship with someone like Yasiel, who's on another team in another city, you're here in Cleveland, you're selling T-shirts in Cleveland, you know, you're doing what you're doing here. Yeah, now. so we're a licensee of the MLBPA, and we work with a lot of different guys throughout the league. And because we build relationships, I have a great relationship with his agency. Gotcha. And so as he moves from L.A. to Cincinnati, they're scoping out new partners, and they see that we're a Midwest company, and they've already worked with us. They also have Kipnis and some others that we've worked with. And so it was natural, and it's a, it's a personal relationship. You know, I know them very well. When I'm in L.A., I spend time out there. And so they trust us, and they know that we're close to home. And now that he got traded here, it's been pretty exciting. But a guy like that, he's, he's got so much personality. He's always doing things that are hot market or trendy. Either he's fighting with the pirates or he's sticking his tongue out. And to have a partner like us that can help, you know, he's already got his own brand, and he d- knows how to do social well. He's got a great team at his agency. From an apparel perspective, we kind of just come in and you know, support that. Okay. Now, you mentioned he's got a great personality. We've seen that, and and obviously he's a tremendous baseball player, first and foremost. Uh, But that personality is kind of cool. Have you had athletes where you've kind of had to prod them and say you need to be a little bit more outgoing, or is it just kind of like a natural thing uh, uh, it's definitely, you hook up it's with. definitely not natural. I, I like working <laughs> with, with guys that have a lot of personality, but I think Corey Kluber would be a good example of somebody that's a great guy. And, well, uh, he did, he's very, done T-shirts with you guys. Yeah, yeah, so we did a campaign with him, Kluber for president, in 2016, when we did our whole campaign with a bunch of guys nationwide. And uh, one of my favorite to work with, but you know, a little bit different personality than Yasiel. Okay. And so you're trying to pull that out of him and get him to be a little bit more... Um, active a little bit more exciting on camera but it's just not necessarily his nature and so it's kind of my job to determine what his brand looks like yeah and what's unique about him which i think we've done well how has that changed did, did, did you you always con- continue to brand him in the way that you perceived him to be yeah i think so and i think that i've learned that the best way to have success is to focus on the athlete and what they enjoy and what is true to them. Okay. If it's not, then they're not going to support it, they're not going to promote it, and it's not going to be successful. Okay, so like he he's, he thinks a lot of uh, people that serve for the military. I mean, he's yeah. involved in that, he and his wife, and so those are hot-button things for him, and you kind of concentrate not just on that, but something that kind of bears that out? Well, one story, I guess, is unique. We were interviewing him. We're at spring training, and this is 2000. This is March of 2016. And one of the shirts that we had done without in, without partnering with him was Klubot, and everybody was nicknaming him Klubot. Yeah. And every, the fans loved it. Sure, that was on social media. Everywhere. And in the in the interview on camera, he just said, "Yeah, I don't really like that nickname." And I said, "Oh, well." That's interesting because there's a T-shirt. There's a T-shirt plus all the fans are following this Klubot and. After that, we just stopped promoting it because in my mind, it, it wasn't worth, you know, either pissing him off or making it seem like something that he wasn't on board for. I'd rather do something that he liked and lose out on the sales. Okay. And it was more, I think that that builds a lot of the trust that I was talking about. Is there a point in time where you realize a specific athlete is not 
going to be in it for the long haul with you? And how do you, is there a way to back away from that or move on to something else or how? Yeah, sometimes the partnerships are only for one shirt or one-time events. And so we kind of understand that and realize that and just move on after that. And you cut your bait basically, and, and yeah. So we'll promote a shirt, and we'll you know sell it for let's say six months, and then after that shirt's done, you know they get their royalty, and we just move on. All right, let's go back to Puig. He's got a fantastic personality. So how do you? Obviously, you're not in contact with him each and every day, but how is that relationship forged, and how do you keep it fresh? <laughs> I think he keeps it fresh. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I mean, when he's running around second base and waving, waving back, yeah. at, back at first, and then he slides and t- sticks his tongue out. It's very so he's easy a gold mine. He's a gold mine. I mean, as far as far as great content, he's a gold mine. And we've had a lot of what I would say viral hits that we haven't been able to do because he hasn't signed off on them. But uh, he has some pretty incredible, uh, different things and unique things that we've we've really enjoyed. Uh, from a personal perspective, he's just incredible to be around. He's very thoughtful. I've uh, been to numerous charity events, and he really focuses on the kids. And so for us, too, that's a that's a huge part of what we enjoy being a part of because it's an impact in the community. He did it in L.A., he's done it in Cincinnati, and he's going to continue to do that in Cleveland. And if we can be a part of it, you know, we really enjoy that. You mentioned viral hits. Now, describe that a little bit more for our folks that are listening. Something happens that obviously becomes a big deal on social media or on the Internet, and you're just trying to sink your teeth into that and really make hay with it. In yeah, whatever way you can. Definitely. There's a couple ways to do it. Sometimes the moment creates itself. For example, when um, Baker says, I woke up feeling dangerous. Yeah, yeah. You know, all you have to do is put that on a shirt and that's kind of your viral hit. But we also try to create them. So when LeBron came back, we came out with a shirt that said forgiven. And the G was a six, which he ended up changing his number two. But we had actually printed shirts before he came back. I had a, a good inclination based on some friends in the industry that he was coming home. And we took the gamble, and so we were the first ones that had shirts when he came back, and that was kind of you know a viral shirt around his homecoming. And we did the same thing with Johnny Manziel. We were the first ones to do the the Money Manziel shirt, and build like a little following around that. And yeah, so sometimes it's hit or miss. Sometimes it's termed where it's only a few weeks, but we just try to jump on it when we can. You have to be really nimble, quick on your feet in this marketing day and age with these athletes. So let's go back to that LeBron thing. Um, how quick did you have to be with that, with the forgiven, and what was the process to get it out and then for people to jump on it, almost like liquid hot um, uh, feeling that people had around the city? Well, he was already trending everywhere. People couldn't stop talking about him worldwide. And so knowing that, we actually teased the fact that, hey, if he comes home, we've got these shirts ready. Because at that point, the day before, I was like, he's coming home for sure. And so I actually pulled the the trigger on having some printed the second that he announced that he was coming the website was already ready to go we turned all our products on and all of the new banners and we actually had the truck out and i said hey we've got you know 150 shirts first 150 come and get them and when we showed up we actually parked on east fourth at harry buffalo and there was a line waiting for us and <laughs> i think i only had 150 shirts and i said all right first customer and he said i'll take six and i said okay stop i said we're only taking cash the price is higher and only one per human and we were still sold out within 15 minutes and uh, probably 100 people didn't get them so that's that's the kind of stuff that kind of builds the the viral moments and it also builds demand because the next time we've got a a shirt like that people are more likely to show up and to to pay for them and buy them tony because the social uh media kind of evolves i mean what you did 
in 2014 when LeBron came, was it 2014? Yeah, 2014 when LeBron came back, yeah. could not have been done in 2007. Or Correct. Or maybe even would be different now here in 2019. Definitely. So... You got to be with the times, or you're 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 not going to the 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 bandwagon will leave without you. Yeah, it's ever evolving and changing. Digital and social changes every day. I remember when I first started, I was telling the stuff about Jay Crawford. Mm-hmm. Um, I I was actually running a LeBron page, and I think it said it was like LeBron is better than Kobe on Facebook, 110,000 followers, and at that time Facebook was showing everybody that followed that page all of the content. Well, now you have to actually pay for those advertisements and your followers don't really matter and the people that like your page don't actually see stuff unless you're promoting it. At that time, I could do something that was LeBron-focused and sell out of it in a couple hours because all of those followers are LeBron followers and they were, there was no Twitter or Twitter wasn't as active. There was no Instagram. Snapchat didn't exist. And so Facebook was like the, the place to go. And if all of your followers were seeing your content, you can imagine how easy it is to sell. And so it's kind of navigating around that. Now that all of these companies are public, their focus is on making money. And so they've got to do things in order to generate revenue. And so that means advertisements. And so it's much more difficult nowadays than it was 10 years ago to get stuff to go viral without paying. Well, you really have to be quick on your feet and and super imaginative. Uh, I mean, what are you scouring the internet every day for some specific opportunity with an athlete? How does that work? Yeah, well, it's having a good team of people, and if you have the right guys on board, then they're also looking and watching. And it's much more difficult when you've got licensing for the whole league. So imagine having NFL and MLB PA licensing, and so you've got 30 teams from each league and however many players from each team and all those games every night and trying to determine what's going on. A lot of times you miss stuff. And now that we've kind of, in my mind, we've, we've shown how to do it. We've proven concept, and there's 10 other companies that are doing similar and so not only do you have to find the idea, you've got to be first to market, you've got to be most clever, you've got to have the right advertising, you've got to get the player on board. You've, it just, it's much different now when, than when we started because we were the only ones in the game. And when you started, you said, don't want to work for anybody. I don't want to work you're for still, anybody. You're, that, that holds true it to this day. It still holds no? true. Yes, I've always told people, and this is probably not right, but I said I'd rather live under a bridge than work <laughs> for somebody bridge. else. Yeah, I really just, I feel that way. I, I like creating my own stuff. I don't like having to answer anybody. I like to wake up at 9 o'clock if I want and get a latte and walk around the city and start working and then work until 2 a.m. if I have to. Uh, I really just enjoy working for myself. You mentioned the city. Let's go back a couple of years. You're a young <laughs> guy, yeah. and you say, I'm going to run for mayor. Yeah. What caused you to think that you, you know you wanted to throw your hat in the ring, and what was that experience like for you, good, bad, indifferent? Uh, the experience was very intense. I wouldn't say good or bad. I think that it was a great learning experience, and I definitely don't regret doing it. But it, it, So why it, did you do it? I did it because I felt like the city needed it. Okay. And I had put a little team together, and it was more focused on – trying to change things from a media perspective and change perception and get real news out there. And it just didn't work. We weren't really well funded. And so out of that group, I kind of became the candidate. There wasn't like any plan for me to run for mayor. This is not something that I had always hoped and dreamed to do. I, mm-hmm. I'm not looking and longing to be a politician. I had some experience working, uh, getting our truck through some legislation passed with the city, working with all the department heads, and also working with Ohio Homecoming back in the day when we had events and you know, having to be at the steering committee and just really having uh, an understanding for the first time at a, a pretty young age, I would say 26, 27, of how the city works, who the players are, and really why there was no progress. It was very evident once I was in the room. 
And I thought, wow, this, this needs to change, it needs to shift, and I still feel that way. The majority of the players are still in office, they're still in the positions they're in, and you can see, you know, based on things that happen in the city, um, why I feel the way I do, mm-hmm. so, I think. So based on that, what's your long-term vibe for the city of Cleveland? It's it's enjoyed a renaissance, a lot of it's sports-derived, I would say. Yeah. Uh, obviously what LeBron did when he came back to Cleveland, the championship and those types of things, but where do you see it going? I think there's been a renaissance to some degree. I think that those of us that live in the better parts of town experience more of it. And those of us that work where we do and and in the downtown Ohio City area, I would say that there's a lot of areas that haven't been able to uh, taste that success. I see. And I think a lot of the momentum has been driven by the private sector. It's kind of been despite the administration's inability to really push things along. And I think that if you had an administration that was active and pushed things heavily, that you'd see a lot more of a renaissance and you'd see a lot more growth in those areas that need it. I think that Cleveland has still yet to be tapped, honestly. I think that we're uh, the tip of the iceberg. And I think with a new regime, I think with a new group of young minds, we can really, really become competitive nationally. And where are those young minds coming from uh, there's a lot of obviously a lot of young people that are living downtown that are invested in this city's future with various companies and it, that's an exciting element to our city as it stands but um, where can you see this pool of talent coming from i think there's some that already are here some mm-hmm. developers um some entrepreneurs some business owners it really in my opinion has to be people that are outside of the system and so the the younger generation of the next wave of the same is not going to bring change. Yeah, they may be younger and they may be uh, our generation, but if they're following the same group and the same leaders that were before them, then we're not gonna have much change. It's gonna be more of the same. So I think it's gonna be from the private sector still, and it's gonna be people that really take the the chance that I did and say, you know, this is something that we need and I'm gonna throw my hat in the ring from a public perspective. And it'll be interesting to watch. It really will be. All right, let's go back to sports a bit. You have uh, hooked up with Jessica I. Yes. Uh, yep. Outstanding uh, UFC young fighter and great personality. How did that relationship go, and how did it get to the point where you're you're dealing with her? Yeah, it's interesting. I've probably known Jess for almost eight years. I used to watch her in the flats when she was with NAAFS, hmm. and then I was at her Atlantic City fight when she – Choked out the girl in 55 seconds in Atlantic, uh, Atlantic City for Bellator, sorry. I actually met her through Cribs. So Cribs is one of her first supporters and sponsors, and a friend of mine who manages Josh, Lisa, uh, connected us. Yeah, and Lisa. We've, yeah, mm-hmm. we've been really close ever since. And then after her fight, I believe, we had talked about me managing her after her fight in Singapore, which was last summer. And then she went to Toronto, and she won in December. And she called me up after the fight and she said, I really, I really want you to manage me. And so I've been managing her since then. So about 10 months and it's been awesome. I was obviously there ringside um, for the fight, the title fight where she lost in Chicago. And just that day alone, you know, it felt like a whole entire life. I learned so much about the ups and downs of, of life in general. You know, this, this high of her fighting for the title and then being with her in the hospital at 2 a.m. You know, you don't, as a casual fan, you don't realize the impact and the actual uh, way that it works, right? When somebody gets knocked out, you watch these highlight reels and you're like, oh my gosh, what a hit. Well, you don't realize that that person and their whole camp is at the hospital because it's serious. And uh, we've watched a couple boxers lose their lives. 
Like these, these sports are real. And so I've just, I've, I've grown so much more respect and appreciation for what she does. You know, she took on the baddest chick in the world and said, let's do this, you know, and she caught a shot. So uh, she fights again December 14th and she's the main event on pay-per-view. And so I'm just, I love working with her. She, she's great. We have a great friendship and I really respect her. She kind of goes by the beat of her own drum. She which definitely is, does. She, which I probably would assume is a way, is a reason why you guys kind of connect because you seem like the same kind of a person is, as far as, you know, wanting to dictate how things go your way. Yeah, I think, that, that, I think that's definitely true. And, uh, you know, sometimes there's failure. Sure. And so I think that she and I both really enjoy being able to control things or try to control things. And we're willing to take on the responsibility when things fail. Mm-hmm. And we, I was just in L.A. with her this past weekend. We had some meetings and uh, really great conversation around that point. You know, we've had some highs and we've had some lows. And just being able to connect in those places and understand that life, you know, sometimes sucks but being able to have people that care about you that can talk through things i think is really important and and she's one of those people for me so what entails managing an athlete no matter what the sport i mean and and how how would it differ from dealing with a ufc fighter like jess or let's say a, a, a major league baseball player and i know most of these guys like cribs and Puig and people like that, you don't necessarily manage them. You deal with them on a marketing level on specific aspects of yeah. their, quote, brand. So for Jess, I handle all of her business affairs. So I, I stay out of the fighting. I let her fighting team do that. But from a perspective of, you know, whether it's marketing, PR, um, whether she wants to go into a new venture or somebody wants to do a book with her or whatever, what, if it comes down to business, I kind of manage that for her. And I think that she would even say it's almost like a, a personal management as well. I try to help her out in different aspects outside the octagon too. And I think that it's different for every athlete, not even just the sport. The UFC is really unique because things aren't really regulated. Uh, there's no fighters union. There's no regulations as far as management teams. And so I've learned a lot too. And I, I think that I've had some success because I'm not the typical UFC guy. Gotcha. A lot of the management teams and the guys that are are hanging out with these guys are former fighters or they're, they're gym guys, and they don't necessarily have the experience that I have, and I provide a different perspective. You know, Obviously, they've got more experience in, in that space, but mine's a little bit more unique, and I think that Jess likes that too. It's really interesting to see the potential for someone like Jessica because – She's got so many of those attributes that can be marketable. She's an attractive gal. She's a, a, you know, a funny kid. She, she, her opinions come out. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so, you know, you as a person that's dealing with her, you probably, you know, it's, it's like, you know, like a painter. You've got the easel there. You got the brushes and and the the oils, and now you can really kind of forge this the way you want it to, to be yeah, the Je- best for her. And, and Jess really makes it easy because she's great on camera. You know, she's very marketable. She's very likable. Uh, oftentimes, if somebody's interested in working with her, all they have to do is meet her in order to basically get the deal done because she's got such a great personality. And so, like I said before, I'd loved, I, I love working with those kind of athletes more. You know, Yasiel, Jessica, um, even like Jamie Gillen, for example. He's one of our guys and yeah. the punter for the Browns. So much character, so much personality, and very unique individuals. Those, those are the ones that really I gravitate towards, and Jess is definitely one of those. Yeah, there's probably a lot of things you can, uh, ways you can go with the Scottish hammer, no? <laughs> yeah, I don't know if you saw the video, but we, we mocked up a, a video, and he's kicking the ball over the terminal tower. It's almost like those old uh, LeBron videos where he's 
shooting those power for power age, shooting those full court shots and they're going in. And uh, obviously it's six or seven football fields long, so he didn't actually kick it over the terminal. But very, very fun. And a guy that really appreciated, appreciates where he's at at 21 years old. You know, he had told us over the summer that uh, he had never actually been to an NFL game. If you can imagine that, you know, you're you're playing for a professional team, you've never been to a game. It's pretty surreal. How did that uh, How did that partnership come about for you? Because first and foremost, you you, you probably saw, oh, okay, he's a guy that comes from, got a rugby background, he's Scottish. I mean, you're probably putting all these attributes that he has together in your head, saying, I cannot pass up. I got to make a pitch to this this guy. Yeah, that, it was actually really unique. It was, he was sent to me by somebody. Somebody on my team said, you know, check out the Scottish Hammer. And I was like, who's this guy? And I watched and I was like, man, this would be great content. So I actually DM'd him. He, even, he wasn't verified on, on Instagram. He only had like 5,000 followers and he responded almost immediately. Connected me to his agent. His agent and I hit it off. His agent actually managed the former UFC fighter too. So there was some synergy there. And uh, within a week, we were working with him. That's very, great. Very, very fun and yeah, really, really enjoyed him. Well, and as we speak, uh, you know, uh, they're determining what's going on with the Cleveland Browns football team and, and that, that, uh, that kind of comes out. So what's the future? What do you think? Where, where are you headed? I don't know. It's going to be an interesting season. Um, I think I'm going to take a little bit of time away, and I'm going to do some traveling. And so I don't know. But I know I'm going to find some, some different things that challenge me. I'll, I'll say that. Fantastic. Good luck to you, my friend. Appreciate it, JT. Thanks very much to Tony for the conversation. And I just would ask you, just for a short moment, if you would be so kind as to subscribe to this podcast and rate it five stars, if and all possible. I certainly would appreciate that. Tony Madalone on this week's Tellage Talks, and we look forward to more episodes as we continue along down the pike in this wonderful world of podcasting. Episode 32 in the books. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you the next time on Tellage Talks.